this morning's, this morning's reading is from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. That's page 928 in your church Bibles. Jonah, chapter 1, 1 to 6, page 928. Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, Neil, the associate vicar here uh, at St. Jude's, and just getting the slides up uh, for this morning. So this morning, we're thinking about Jonah and who is my neighbor. Now, if I was to ask you, which were Jesus' two best stories, the best stories that Jesus told, what would you say? This is a real question. It's not a rhetorical one. I'm asking... What would you say? The Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. There we have it. Two good answers, two answers that I was hoping for, two answers that, uh, that we're going to go with. The Prodigal Son and the Good uh, Samaritan. And where are those stories found? A bit more tricky. Which, which gospel uh, has got those two stories in? Oh, Swatty over here says, which one? Luke, that's right. So just a quick reminder, we're doing a little bit of teaching here. Uh, Matthew's gospel's got the teaching of Jesus. Mark's gospel's got all the action. Luke's gospel's got the stories and the works of the Spirit. And then John's gospel's got the great I am. So that's how you can remember all the different gospels and what they've got into them. So Luke's gospel's got the two stories. And uh, the two stories... In Luke chapter 10, you find the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 15, you find the prodigal son. And this morning, we're thinking about how these two stories intersect in this other story of Jonah, the prodigal prophet. Uh, so, oop, don't need that one. If we'd clear that one, that'd be great. So, uh, we're thinking about God's great mercy. We do need that slide. The mystery of God's great mercy is going very well up here. Don't worry. Uh, and, uh, and how uh, this story, this old story of Jonah has a lot to teach us. Because while Jesus called us to be good Samaritans, we can sometimes end up 
being grumpy old Jonas and oblivious to the needs of the world around us, reluctant to help those who have problems in our world. Jonah the moaner was not a great advert for the people of God way back in 750 BC when he was alive. And I wonder, are we living out God's calling? Are we a good advert for who God is in what we're doing in 2023? So, we need to remember that the book of Jonah is in two symmetrical halves, chapters 1 and 2 and chapters 3 and 4. And each of those halves, God's word comes to Jonah, then Jonah encounters people of a different faith and then each half finishes with Jonah talking to God. So twice then Jonah finds himself in a close encounter with people who are radically different and religiously and racially different to himself. And in both cases Jonah is dismissive and unhelpful while the people around him of different faiths, are acting well. And why is this important? Why is this central to the whole message of the book? Because God cares about how we care about people who are deeply different to us. God cares about how we care about people who are different to us. God wants us to see all people as objectives, as targets, for his grace and mercy and love. He wants us to be open and generous, loving and respectful. And when we are like that, that's when our faith works well. That's why Alpha courses work well, because we treat the guests who come with respect and openness. We let them share all their ideas, all their questions, all the things that they bring. We treat them with respect. And Alpha works. It's why our Friday Fridge works, because we treat all our guests who come to Friday Fridge as guests, and we give them dignity and respect. And it doesn't matter where they come from. Everybody's treated the same. Everybody gets some food and a hot drink on a Friday night, and some of them really need it, and we treat them in that way. When we're living like that, that's when we experience God's blessing and his pleasure. So... Let's get back to the sailors. Jonah, we know, was a prophet for the king of Israel, Jeroboam II, and he was living a cozy and secure and comfortable life in the court of the king. And he liked his life, but he didn't like God's command to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. Because to go and speak to this great Assyrian empire whose capital was Nineveh was almost a suicide mission. So he didn't like it on that, uh, on that front. But also, if he had succeeded, Jonah would have succeeded in God's blessing being poured out upon the very enemies of the Jewish people at that time. So Jonah heads west instead of east and ends up on a boat in a storm only to find himself talking about God to the very exact same people that he didn't want to go and talk to God about, talk to God with. You see that this is how God works. We run in the opposite direction. He just gives us another chance to share his blessing and his mercy. 
Jonah's now in a position where he can speak of God in a very dangerous situation to people who are outside his faith. God's always one step ahead of us. And as the storm builds up, before we get to Jonah actually sharing anything, what's Jonah doing? Jonah is asleep. And he's asleep because he's exhausted from battling against God's will. That takes a lot of energy and effort to resist what God wants you to do, to remain independent. Sometimes the best thing is just to give in to God and say, okay, I'm yours. And Jonah hasn't got to that point yet. Jonah's emotions have been through a whole tumble dryer and he's sought sleep in order to get out of this constant going over it in his mind, all of the options and the information. Jonah seeks oblivion to cancel out this resistance that he's having to put up to God. And as we think about Jonah asleep in this boat, we remember someone else who was asleep in a boat in a storm. And Jesus, we remember, was asleep in that boat in the storm as he and the disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee. And we could think about those two people in, uh, 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 asleep and they're very different sorts of sleep because Jonah's trying to escape from the world around him. Jesus is just at peace with the world around him. Jesus isn't trying to get out of the situation. Just, Jesus is just confident that God's got that situation. We can't, we can't underestimate how much Jesus is at peace with his world and the world around him. Jonah is the exact opposite. What Jonah's doing is displacement behavior that's common enough today. We see it all around us, don't we? People try and avoid the real issue by displacing their behavior into something that takes the pain away. So some, for some people, it's drugs or alcohol that takes the pain away. For other people, if you... Uh, see people around you, it might be gambling or shopping or it might be having an affair or it might be watching things on the internet that you know that you shouldn't watch. Anything to distract you from the real issue. But the problem is that the storm's still there and just as with Jonah, in the end the storm catches up with you. The sailors are facing the storm head on. They haven't got time for any displacement behavior. They're used to bad weather and they know the danger that they're in. So they've called out to their own gods and as a last resort, they've thrown the cargo overboard. So that's all hope of any profit from this trip, this voyage gone overboard in order to lighten the load. They're aware, it seems, that there's a spiritual dimension to this storm. They've done their best. And now the captain comes to urge Jonah to do his best. And the word that the captain uses uh, when he says, get up, is exactly the same word as is used in verse 2 when God calls Jonah to arise and go to the people of, uh, um, the people of Nineveh. So when God calls him to arise, Jonah hears his voice. Now he hears the voice of God through this captain who's saying, Arise, call on your God, because he may save us. What lesson 
is this teaching us? We mustn't miss the irony that God sends Jonah to point unbelievers to himself and now an unbeliever calls Jonah to point Jonah towards God. Do you see how this story's toying with Jonah, toying with us, teaching us the lessons that God wants us to hear? And this is how these two stories uh, interact. Jonah's running from the father as fast as he can, like a spoilt prodigal son. And someone comes to Jonah, like the good Samaritan, to pick him up and rescue him. Whichever way you look at it, in this section of the story, Jonah is not living out his calling as a child of God. He's not able to see the immediate danger that they're in, and he's certainly not responding to it. There's a group of people in this boat, and the only one who isn't responding in the right way, the only one who isn't calling out to God, is the chosen child of the living God. Jonah is not bringing the awesome resources of his faith to bear on the suffering of his fellow shipmates. He's not shining as a light in the darkness. He's gone down to the darkness of the hold to escape. Jonah is not showing the people around him his intimate relationship with the God of all creation. He's denying his identity. So it would be pretty fair to assume that the sailors are pretty disappointed with Jonah. And I wonder if sometimes the people around us might be disappointed with us and how we're using our resources of faith. Are we living out our identity as children of the living God? How much time do we spend praying for our world? Are we committed to prayer meetings, to praying, to asking, calling out to God for his help in our time? Do we need to make that more of a focus, more of a priority of our lives as the life of our church? We want that to happen. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves that it's the people around us who see more clearly than we do what the needs of the world really are. Because God's given everyone a conscience. God's given everyone a moral framework. That's God's common grace that he gives to all humanity. So we might think that our moral uh, framework is better than others, but sometimes we need to be humble and open to the people around us because God's given everyone just some of his creativity and kindness, a sense of his justice and his wisdom, of his beauty and his goodness. And for me, this is something that really happened with the environmental movement. Back when I was young, there were people called Greenpeace who were always on the news fighting for the planet. And then the aid agencies, Tear Fund and Christian Aid, started to see the damage that climate change was doing to vulnerable communities and countries. And they called Christians to get involved with the climate change. And it's almost as if the world around us is saying, wake up. Come and join us. Come and join the fight. Because there is a fight. There is a battle going on. And sometimes, you know, we're all worried about what Prince Harry says in his book. There's people dying and there's so much more to do, isn't there? 
Let's not get distracted and deflected. I came upon this quote by an American academic. He said, I used to think that the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that good science could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with those, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. Can you hear what he's saying? We need a spiritual awakening, a reconnection with the wonder of this world that's all around us. God's good creation deserves protection. We can't go on trashing it. And we can say that to the world around us. We can point people to the creator God and his goodness and the goodness of his creation. Now that's not the only storm that we should be taking on. It's perhaps not even the biggest storm, but it's a pretty big one. We are making some progress in some of the storms that we see around us. We're helping people through food banks. We're helping the homeless better than we have before. We're sending people out as street pastors to look after the vulnerable on the streets. There's debt support and pregnancy counselling. But we need to choose the right storms to sail into and not get distracted or deflected from telling people about Jesus and what he thinks about our world. Because Jesus is the one who's going to make a difference. Where is the real damage being done in our world? Why is suicide the most common cause of death in those under 30? Why is there such an epidemic of mental health problems in our society? How do we make our nation and this world more equal so that everybody has a fair chance and equal opportunities? These are the issues that we should be tackling. These are the issues where the presence of Jesus changes the debate. I went to see our MP, Stephen Morgan, uh, just before Christmas. And uh, if you get in touch with his office, he'll make an appointment, you can go and see him. And we talked about how many challenges people are facing with the cost of living crisis. And I said to him, I judge political agendas on how well they fit with the teaching of Jesus. And he looked at me, and we carried on our conversation. And a bit further on in the conversation, he reflected it back to me. He said, you know, Jesus has got a point, hasn't he, on this and this and this. And I said, yes, he has. We need to be telling our politicians that we want political agendas that reflect the teaching and the wisdom of Jesus. Because the only way forward for humanity is if we seek the ways and the wisdom of Jesus. His plans are the best plans. And when his kingdom comes, that means hope for everyone. This is why what we do here matters. Because we're part of the revolution that Jesus started. And somebody said, and I believe it's true, that the local church is the hope of the world. 
Just look around at the people next to you. You could say, you are the hope of the world if you wanted to. It's a pretty funny thing to think, isn't it? Us sitting here all huddled up in the cold, we are the hope of the world. This story of Jonah, remember, they're in this big storm. The boat is about to break up. And there is, let's not be uh, ashamed to say, a miserable old git asleep in the bottom of the boat. He's not the most obvious source of a solution, is he? And for lots of people around us, the church is not the most obvious source of the solution to the problems that we face. But Jonah is the solution because God is with him. And we have these resources, these spiritual resources that we should be allowing to flow out into the world. We've got people that we talk to each and every day and we need to be telling them that Jesus is the answer to the questions that they have. We're not called just to come to church each Sunday to meet lots of nice people and have lots of nice chats in a nice place. That's nice, but it's not what Jesus, I believe, wants us to do. We're here because we have a unique message in the teachings and the example of Jesus. A unique message that has changed our world and goes on changing our world. And we need to make sure that God's awesome, unending, amazing grace keeps flowing out into this world to whoever needs it, whoever needs it. Because all people everywhere need to be blessed by God. And our choice is this. Are we going to be moaning Jonah's or are we going to be good Samaritans? Jesus called us to look out for our neighbours and our neighbours today are all across this world. We're called to be good Samaritans, to reach out and help those who are in need. And the best way we can do that is by talking about Jesus. Moaning Jonah or good Samaritan, what are we going to choose to be? Let's stand and uh, I'll just say a little prayer as we finish thinking about this. Heavenly Father, it does seem incredible that you might choose us to be part of your plan to save not just people, but this whole world. And Lord, Sometimes that seems too big for us to do. But we pray that through your spirit at work amongst us, you would guide us and lead us to the places and the people where we can speak your words of truth and hope, words of mercy and peace and grace. Lord, help each one of us to speak for you in this world to reach out to those in need, to live out our calling as children of the living God. And as we do that, help us to remember that 
This is because of your amazing gift of grace to us. That we're not saved by good works. We're not saved by our faith. But we are saved by your grace and your grace alone. Amen. So we're going to sing uh, our final song that reminds us of God's grace before the throne of God above.